Letter 114 of Moral Letters to Lucilius by Lucius Annius Seneca. Translated by Richard M. Gummier. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On Style as a Mirror of Character You have been asking me why, during certain periods, a degenerate style of speech comes to the fore, and how it is that men's wits have gone downhill into certain vices, in such a way that exposition at one time has taken on a kind of puffed-up strength, and at another has become mincing and modulated like the music of a concert-piece. You wonder why sometimes bold ideas, bolder than one could believe, have been held in favor, and why at other times one meets with phrases that are disconnected and full of innuendo, into which one must read more meaning than was intended to meet the ear. Or, why there have been epics which maintained the right to a shameless use of metaphor. For answer, here is a phrase which you are wont to notice in the popular speech, one which the Greeks have made into a proverb, man's speech is just like his life. Exactly as each individual man's actions seem to speak, so people's style of speaking often reproduces the general character of the time. If the morale of the public has relaxed and has given itself over to effeminacy, wantonness in speech is proof of public luxury. If it is popular and fashionable, and not confined to one or two individual instances, a man's ability cannot possibly be of one sort and his soul another. If his soul be wholesome, well-ordered, serious, and restrained, his ability also is sound and sober. Conversely, when the one degenerates, the other is also contaminated. Do you not see that if a man's soul has become sluggish, his limbs drag and his feet move indolently? If it is womanish, that one can detect the effeminacy by his very gait? That a keen and confident soul quickens the step? That madness in the soul or anger, which resembles madness, hastens our bodily movements from walking to rushing? And how much more do you think that this affects one's ability, which is entirely interwoven with the soul, being molded thereby, obeying its commands, and deriving therefrom its laws? How Messinus lived is too well known for present comment. We know how he walked, how effeminate he was, and how he desired to display himself. Also, how unwilling he was that his vices should escape notice. What, then, does not the looseness of his speech match his ungirt attire? Are his habits, his attendance, his house, his wife, any less clearly marked than his words? He would have been a man of great powers had he set himself to his task by a straight path. Had he not shrunk from making himself understood, had he not been so loose in his style of speech also? You will therefore see that his eloquence was that of an intoxicated man, twisting, turning, unlimited in its slackness. What is more unbecoming than the words, A stream and a bank covered with long-tressed woods? And see how men plough the channel with boats, and turning up the shallows, leave gardens behind them. Or he curls his lady locks, and bills and coos and starts to scion, like a forest lord who offers prayers with down-bent neck. Or, in unregenerate crew, they search out people at feasts, 
and assail households with the wine-cup and by hope exact death or a genius could hardly bear witness to his own festival or threads of tiny tapers and crackling meal mothers or wives clothing the hearth can you not at once imagine on reading through these words that this was the man who always paraded through the city with a flowing tunic for even if he was discharging the absent emperor's duties he was always in undress when they asked him for the countersign or that this was the man who as judge on the bench or as an orator or at any public function appeared with his cloak wrapped about his head leaving only the ears exposed like the millionaires runaway slaves in the farce or that this was the man who at the very time when the state was embroiled in civil strife when the city was in difficulties and under martial law was attended in public by two eunuchs both of them more men than himself or that this was the man who had but one wife and yet was married countless times these words of his put together so faultily thrown off so carelessly and arranged in such marked contrast to the usual practice declare that the character of their writer was equally unusual unsound and eccentric to be sure we bestow upon him the highest praise for his humanity he was sparing with the sword and refrained from bloodshed and he made a show of his power only in the course of his loose living but he spoiled by such preposterous finickiness of style this genuine praise which was his due for it is evident that he was not really gentle but effeminate as is proved by his misleading word order his inverted expressions and the surprising thoughts which frequently contain something great but in finding expression have become nerveless one would say that his head was turned by too great success the fault is due sometimes to the man and sometimes to his epic when prosperity has spread luxury far and wide men begin by paying closer attention to their personal appearance then they go crazy over furniture next they devote attention to their houses how to take up more space with them as if they were country houses how to make the walls glitter with marble that has been imported overseas how to adorn a roof with gold so that it may match the brightness of the inlaid floors after that they transfer their exquisite taste to the dinner-table attempting to court approval by novelty and by departures from the customary order of dishes so that the courses which we are accustomed to serve at the end of the meal may be served first and so that the departing guests may partake of the kind of food which in former days was set before them on their arrival when the mind has acquired the habit of scorning the usual things of life and regarding as mean that which was once customary it begins to hunt for novelties in speech also now it summons and displays obsolete and old-fashioned words now it coins even unknown words or misshapes them and now a bold and frequent metaphorical usage is made a special feature of style according to the fashion which has just become prevalent some cut the thoughts short hoping to make a good impression by leaving the meaning in doubt and causing the hearer to suspect his own lack of wit some dwell upon them and lengthen them out others too approach just short of a fault for a man must really do this if he hopes to attain an imposing effect but actually love the fault for its own sake in short 
whenever you notice that a degenerate style pleases the critics, you may be sure that character has also deviated from the right standards. Just as luxurious banquets and elaborate dress are indications of disease in the state, similarly, a lax style, if it be popular, shows that the mind, which is the source of the word, has lost its balance. Indeed, you ought not to wonder that corrupt speech is welcomed not merely by the more squalid mob, but also by our more cultured throng, for it is only in their dress and not in their judgments that they differ. You may rather wonder that not only the effects of vices, but even vices themselves meet with approval. For it has ever been thus. No man's ability has ever been approved without something being pardoned. Show me any man, however famous. I can tell you what it was that his age forgave in him, and what it was that his age purposely overlooked. I can show you many men whose vices have caused them no harm, and not a few who have been even helped by these vices. Yes, I will show you persons of the highest reputation, set up as models for our admiration, and yet if you seek to correct their errors you destroy them. For vices are so intertwined with virtues that they drag the virtues along with them. Moreover, style has no fixed laws. It is changed by the usage of the people, never the same for any length of time. Many orators hark back to the earlier epics for their vocabulary, speaking in the language of the Twelve Tables. Gracchus, Crassus, and Curio, in their eyes, are too refined and too modern, so back to Apius and Coronchanus. Conversely, certain men in their endeavor to maintain nothing but well-worn and common uses fall into a humdrum style. These two classes, each in its own way, are degenerate, and it is no less degenerate to use no words except those which are conspicuous, high-sounding, and poetical avoiding what is familiar and in ordinary usage. One is, I believe, as faulty as the other. The one class are unreasonably elaborate, the other are unreasonably negligent. The former depilate the leg, the latter not even the armpit. Let us now turn to the arrangement of words. In this department, what countless varieties of fault I can show you. Some are all for abruptness and unevenness of style, purposely disarranging anything which seems to have a smooth flow of language. They would have jolts in all their transitions. They regard as strong and manly whatever makes an uneven impression on the ear. While some others, it is not so much an arrangement of words as it is a setting to music. So wheedling and soft is their gliding style. And what shall I say of that arrangement in which words are put off and after being long awaited for, just manage to come in at the end of a period, or again of that softly concluding style, Cicero fashion, with a gradual and gently poised descent, always the same and always with the customary arrangement of the rhythm. Nor is the fault only in the style of the sentences, if they are either petty and childish, or debasing, with more daring than modesty should allow, or if they are flowery and cloying, or if they end in emptiness, accomplishing mere sound, and nothing more. Some individual makes these vices fashionable. Some person who controls the eloquence of the day, the rest follow his lead and communicate the habit to each other. Thus, when Sallust was in his glory, phrases were lopped off, 
words came to a close unexpectedly an obscure conciseness was equivalent to elegance el orontius a man of rare simplicity author of a historical work on the punic war was a member and a strong supporter of the sallust school there is a phrase in sallust exercitum argento fecit meaning thereby that he recruited an army by means of money orontius began to like this idea he therefore inserted the verb faccio all through his books hence in one passage fugum nostris fecere in another hiero rex syracusonorum bellum fecit and in another quae audita panhomitanos didere romanis fecere i merely desired to give you a taste his whole book is interwoven with such stuff as this what sallust reserved for occasional use Arontius makes into a frequent and almost continual habit and there was a reason for sallust used the words as they occurred to his mind while the other writer went afield in search of them so you see the results of copying another man's vices again sallust said equius hiamantibus Arontius, in his first book on the punic war uses the words repente hiamavit tempestas and elsewhere wishing to describe an exceptionally cold year he says totus hiamavitanus and in another passage inde sexaginta honorarias leves praeter militem et necessarios natarum hiamante aquilone misit and he continues to bolster many passages with this metaphor in a certain place sallust gives the words inter arma civilia equi bonique famas petit and aruntius cannot restrain himself from mentioning at once in the first book that there were extensive reminders concerning regulus these and similar faults which imitation stamps upon one's style are not necessarily indications of loose standards or of debased mind for they are bound to be personal and peculiar to the writer enabling one to judge thereby of a particular author's temperament just as an angry man will talk in an angry way an excitable man in a flurried way and an effeminate man in a style that is soft and unresisting you note this tendency in those who pluck out or thin out their beards or who closely share and shave the upper lip while preserving the rest of the hair and allowing it to grow or in those who wear cloaks of outlandish colors who wear transparent togas and who never deign to do anything which will escape general notice they endeavor to excite and attract men's attention and they put up even with censure provided that they can advertise themselves that is the style of messinus and all the others who stray from the path not by hazard but consciously and voluntarily this is the result of great evil in the soul as in the case of drink the tongue does not trip until the mind is overcome beneath its load and gives way or betrays itself so that intoxication of style for what else than this can i call it never gives trouble to any one unless the soul begins to totter therefore i say take care of the soul for from the soul issue our thoughts from the soul our words from the soul our dispositions our expressions and our very gait when the soul is sound and strong the style too is vigorous energetic manly 
but if the soul lose its balance down comes all the rest in ruins if but the king be safe your swarm will live harmonious if he die the bees revolt the soul is our king if it be safe the other functions remain on duty and serve with obedience but the slightest lack of equilibrium in the soul causes them to waver along with it and when the soul is yielded to pleasure its functions and actions grow weak and any undertaking comes from a nerveless and unsteady source to persist in my use of this simile our soul is at one time a king at another a tyrant the king in that he respects things honorable watches over the welfare of the body which is entrusted to his charge and gives that body no base no ignoble commands but an uncontrolled passionate and effeminate soul changes kingship into that most dread and detestable quality tyranny then it becomes a prey to the uncontrolled emotion which dogged steps elated at first to be sure like a populace idly sated with a largesse which will ultimately be its undoing and spoiling what it cannot consume but when the disease has gradually eaten away the strength and luxurious habits have penetrated the marrow and the sinews such a soul exults at the sight of limbs which through its overindulgence it has made useless instead of its own pleasures it views those of others it becomes the go-between and witness of the passions which as the result of self-gratification it can no longer feel abundance of delights is not so pleasing a thing to that soul as it is bitter because it cannot send all the dainties of yore down through the overworked throat and stomach because it can no longer whirl in the maze of eunuchs and mistresses and it is melancholy because a great part of its happiness is shut off through the limitations of the body now is it not madness lucilius for none of us to reflect that he is mortal or frail or again that he is but one individual look at our kitchens and the cooks who bustle about over so many fires is it think you for a single belly that all this bustle and preparation of food takes place look at the old brands of wine and storehouses filled with the vintages of many ages is it think you a single belly that is to receive the stored wine sealed with the names of so many consuls and gathered from so many vineyards look and mark in how many regions men plough the earth and how many thousands of farmers are tilling and digging is it think you for a single belly that crops are planted in sicily and africa we should be sensible and are once more reasonable if each of us were to take stock of himself and to measure his bodily needs also and understand how little he can consume and for how short a time but nothing will give you so much help toward moderation as the frequent thought that life is short and uncertain here below whatever you are doing have regard to death farewell end of letter 114 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.